Welcome to The Winner's Edit, a Survivor Storyline and Editing Podcast. I'm your host, Joe. And I'm Dan Kilby. What's up? Uh, today, we are covering episode 11 of Survivor Season 38, Edge of Extinction. Fasten your seatbelt. Boo! <laughs> like, my one, like, not even spoiler, but, like, I saw what the episode title was originally, and I was like, oh, what the, this is going to be the greatest episode title of all time. Instead, we get Joe saying, fasten your seatbelts from the jury. <laughs> How boring is that for, like, not uh, tribal, like, tribal average? Yeah. Uh, yeah, this was the one that was initially supposed to be La Cheesery. Yeah. And it was too niche for network television, apparently. Yeah, which is ex- extra sad because I don't know if you noticed, but um, the I saw on Twitter that the Google results for La Cheesery spiked like 700,000 times mm-hmm. uh, because of this episode. Yeah, so... I know. Sorry, I guess. I don't know. That's just the season. Yeah, you should be sorry. Interesting titles. Yeah, it's really like they're like, okay, what's what's the most boring episode title we could think of? That's what we're going to go with. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's true of all Survivor, because normally I guess I'm not paying attention uh, because I'm not I I didn't podcast for most Survivor seasons. So maybe they're all terrible, but I just feel like I feel like like I could do better. I'm thinking about like Cook Islands had that one where it was like. She can't screw with my chickens or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, there have been some really good ones. Or, like, banana etiquette, I think, is one. Like, yep. Those like one, the those great things, lie. They make you think about what the episode could be about. Like, yeah, like, in, like, 20 years. Like, right now, I can tell you what the great lie of the episode's about. It's Johnny Fairplay lying about his grandma. Uh, and a year, if you're, like, fasten your seatbelts, Dan Kilby, what episode was that? Yeah. I have no idea. I guess it was one of the ones where they had a car. Yeah, like, I guess, I don't know, this probably isn't our place to discuss, but, like, episode titles are for TV are just weird because, like, you're probably going to be watching the show, in which case you don't care, or you're going to not pay attention to what the episode titles are, really. True. Like, it's cool when shows do gimmicks with them, but it's not going to make or break your watching of the show, I think. So. Oh, absolutely. Right. Like, I mean, like it, it really, it, this is like probably the most uh, stuck to Reddit conversation of all time. Like, uh, <laughs> like, most people definitely don't know like what the episode title is, but I still yeah. think, I still think if only five people pay attention, that's still better than nothing. Like you should well, still pay attention. I don't yeah. Know. And if it doesn't matter, why not make it just more fun? Like, or if it doesn't matter, why have an episode title? That's the other question. Like if you're if you're just gonna make fasten your seatbelts the episode <laughs> title, why have episode titles? Why not just call it episode eleven, the one that Joe got voted out on or whatever? Um, <laughs> like you know, like I don't know. But that's enough for about the episode discuss- episode title <laughs> discussion. We'll move here into the episode. Uh, so obviously, this is the. War Dog makes his big move and pays the price for it. Episode. This is a Survivor classic. Maybe not necessarily with War Dog, but um, someone makes a big move, and they made it too early. It looks like. Um, so this was kind of just an episode all throughout that was just kind of burying War Dog as a viable candidate uh, of winning this game. I thought. Uh, and I thought the story was actually pretty well told. Yeah, it feels. I know a lot of people have sort of said oh, this is a classic episode. And I think it just stands out amidst other episodes in the season as one that's really well edited. Like, it made sense. Um, I didn't feel like the result was as cut and dry as some other ones. 
Yeah, I don't think this is anywhere near a classic episode. I feel like this is yeah. I feel like this is a standard Survivor episode in a season of pretty bad Survivor episodes. So it I guess it stands out in that way. Like mm-hmm. this is just like this is like this is like an average episode from like Ghost Island. You know what I mean? Like just like random um like decent Survivor maybe not decent, but like I don't think anything particularly special is in this episode. Uh, I do think it told the story of Wardog falling pretty well. Like, mm-hmm. uh, we see him early on kind of bark at Gavin, and then we get to see him uh, fail in the immunity challenge. At that point, to me, it was very obvious this was a Wardog boot. When, okay, l- let's uh, lay the stage here. So, what happens in this reward challenge? Uh, Wardog dives in the water, and it's like that or whatever. And then Jeff is like, this is the worst challenge performance I've ever seen in my entire life. Wardog is losing for his tribe. And Wardog catches up and there's no um, redemption. Like, like Wardog literally catches up to, I think it was Ron Clark on the other side. Um, yeah. In the swimming. And it's just nothing. We're left on Wardog sucks at this challenge when he did better than Ron did. Like, Yeah, it was... I went. I don't know if he was as like extreme as you're saying, but it was definitely spotlighted that Wardog was not doing great. Um, you even had you had other people react to it, like yeah, he fell in the water, like oh, what is he doing? He's swimming the wrong. Like yeah, okay. At yeah. that moment, it was very and like the moment Wardog passed Ron and then didn't do anything else bad in that challenge. I knew 100 percent that this was a Wardog boot. Um, partly because like we were kind of forecasting that anyway. Um, but like. I don't know. I just think that moment to me made it obvious where dog was going because they buried him for like no reason. And so to me, this wasn't like a shocking boot. Like when Wardog was one of the boot options, I was like, okay, it's Wardog. I felt it could still go either way. Like, especially the episode we were talking last week about how it was going to be someone's big move to get rid of Wardog, which we'll yeah. discuss more. But it to me, it didn't feel like they did a great job of attributing that to any one person so i would agree that this like i think our theory that he's a final boss was wrong like um like gavin gets the credit here so Hmm. (laughs) that's something i guess we could talk about later but i mean really the only people who looked good on the boot like having something to do with wardog leaving were julie gavin and victoria everyone else didn't so I think that'll probably inform our discussion a little bit here, but yeah, um, I think that's something to know is those are the only three that said, I want war dog out for whatever reason. Um, mm-hmm. So we'll pay attention to that. Uh, but other than that, I think there were some fun scenes. Like we saw the rise of the potential females Alliance. I'm sure we're going to talk about that a lot between Julie and Lauren and like the mud bath or wherever they were. Yeah. And I don't know, I thought that was pretty fascinating just to see them, like, kind of interact and, like, I guess, yeah, like, we're, we're going to talk about that a lot later. Um, but that was kind of fun. I actually thought the challenges were fun enough. Uh, there was at least some character to them. So, like, I felt like War Dog sucks and all that. Um, it's still funny to see Rick Devins do uh, hilariously well in these challenges, uh, especially, like, the Lachesery line. That was pretty good. <laughs> And, like, I don't know, like, I think the episode was solid, but nothing yeah. particularly special. Yeah. Like, it just felt like a really good episode of, like, Survivor, but not anything too 
it's not something you'll be like top 20 episodes of survivor and like this is gonna be in it like no like even like top i bet like top like 100 actually i feel like hundreds a lot but i don't know hard to (laughs) there's there's a lot of survivor episodes but not that many when you think about it um but yeah like i guess like for me there's a there are like i think some problems i do think that aurora probably wasn't advertised as the best contrary boot target but in addition and i guess my big standout of this episode is holy shit ron clark's the best character of the season and it's not even close like his confessional where he's doing like this weird dance as he's talking about like flipping like oh my god this guy's an all-time treasure yeah that's a very weird confessional which i think we'll get to but yeah he's just generally a good character like it's interesting the way he speaks it's he's fun to listen to he's in an interesting place in the game i think Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just generally, I really like Ron Clark a lot more than I thought pre-season and even early episodes. I was like, ah, oh, Ron Clark's not going to be that great. But yeah, he's easily the best character of the season, I think. And it's not even close. Um, like, I love Victoria. They've effectively given her the the shaft in terms of giving her content. So at this point, like, Ron's the person, if there's another, like, if there's like a returning season that I'd want to see back. Like, he's fun. He's clearly can play from the top and the bottom. Like he's shown to be a versatile player. So um, he, to me, this episode solidified like Ron Clark, actual great survivor character. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think anything else major that happens in this episode that you want to talk about before we get into. Um, not really. I mean, edge of extinctions there as always. And now there's, it feels like there's so many people. They're just sort of like, here's one story from yeah. edge of extinction. So, I mean, this is, like, I guess that's actually kind of an interesting discussion, is, like, I think this is, this is the problem with it, right? Like, this is what everyone was saying, like, okay, sure, it's kind of cute, and us included, like, sure, it's kind of cute when Reem's sitting there by herself, but when there's a, eight people there, like, <laughs> you can't do anything with it. Like, you really can't. Like... I don't know. It just it's this like giant hog of people that have mm-hmm. only one of them matters. So there's seven people who are just not gonna matter at any point to the game from now on. Yeah. That there are kind of just there in limbo. Uh, and I think that's the big problem with this. Like, I mean, there's a lot of problems, but like that's probably the biggest one from a production standpoint is like how do you edit it? There's no story. Well I don't know, it's weird that we we're so focused on survivor, like in terms of competitive reality. So we assume like, oh, it's this like structure of 16 to 20 people. And like, they're going to get not the most even edits, but they're going to get pretty evenly edited. And like, when they go, we'll get something from them. But like, I don't know. I feel like the challenge definitely isn't like this or like other stuff. So other shows have dealt with it, but maybe that was always a strength of survivor is that they didn't need to like, have these dead edits yeah i think honestly that is kind of a power of survivor is like the initial hit of survivor has always been that it's like 18 20 strangers alone on an island how do they learn to interact with each other some people are more entertaining some people are louder some people are quieter some people come from the rough parts of uh, a city and some people like have never been to a city in their entire life and that's kind of the whole core mechanism of why survivor works like the core format works so well for a reason and i think the reason is that people do enjoy seeing a microcosm of society um i think this season's brought to light a kind of an interesting question of well if 
the whole thing's about social dynamics and about how people fit into a forced society where money and outside factors theoretically don't matter what happens. I don't think it works when you have people not there. Like when you have no idea of where that person fits in this society, you have no idea where they place. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I think dead edits are a fundamental problem with the show. I do get it. If like, like you only have 44 minutes, like, it's not so bad. Like, and like, we've complimented them a little bit, even on this season, like Julia's arc was good and she was in the background. That's fine. But like, it, it sucks when you have like, like half your cast literally right now, not on the television show, just mm-hmm. getting in- an invisible edit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the big concern you always have when like, well, back when survivor would be like, we're going to do 18 people this season, and then we're going to do 20 people. You're like, oh, that means, like, two to five people just aren't, like, getting good content for a majority of the season. Yeah, so, 100, 100%. But that's um, partially alleviated in the late game because people are gone. But now it's like, yeah, there's only 18 people, but 16 of them are still here on episode 11. So Yeah, and I think, honestly, even the bigger problem here is the fact that Okay, this is this might be a little bit of uh like a little bit too broad, but like I think there is this reality that people tell themselves that good, interesting players last a long time and boring players don't. But I think the truth is is that in general, your first boot, your like early boots are generally on a character level gonna be more interesting and dynamic than the people who make it really far. Survivor is a game where most of the most of the time the most average person wins. It isn't the most exciting. It isn't usually the smartest. Mm. It isn't the like. It isn't the bold and the beautiful who in Survivor. It's the person who's like the fifth most smart and the most average. <laughs> like the jack of all trades usually wins. Yeah. Um, and when you have Edge of Extinction, when you have all these people stick around, inherently a lot of these people are gonna be more interesting than the people still in the game. Uh, I think that's a huge problem. That they haven't, I think they may maybe realized in this, like, like if you picture like last season, if this was David versus Goliath, um, like with Edge of Extinction, like not only Cole would be getting all the content, like should be five still <laughs> entire season. That means a bunch of people aren't getting content. Like, I think they looked out a little bit that this pre-merge was actually kind of boring people, but like even Aubrey or whatever gets a ton of content. Um, so or or gets invisible. Like either way, I think it's a problem. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't really have much more to say other than it's it's kind of a disappointment. It makes edgic charts ugly too. Like there's just blocks oh, yeah. of UTR one. It's just like no good. So Which is a problem, I guess, for like exactly like twelve people of the population, but like <laughs> <laughs> it's still we still matter. Um but actually this kind of uh feeds itself into an interesting discussion that I've been seeing on sort of the interwebs. Wow, past. it's almost as like I was trying to it's make a, an interesting segue. I know. I know right? It's <laughs> almost like uh, we're getting good at this. But so there's been a much discussion over uh, these past couple years about the invisible edit on an edgic bar uh, and versus UTR one. Um, and so we're gonna have like a little discussion here just about like what we think, why this, like what, like what should be the right answer. Um, and I think it's kind of interesting because I do think we are two people who have different views of this. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm somebody who thinks that the invisible 
uh, rating should be used and should be used a lot more often. And basically, my pitch for it is just like if you're not relevant to the story at all of the episode and you get virtually no content, I'm okay with if someone speaks a line, them being uh, invisible, even if it's not important at all. Um, but for me, the big thing is so a UTR2 edit, like under the radar 2, 2 visibility under the radar can track as, like, somebody who got, like, two confessionals and, like, spoke at camp, like, in, like, a strategy session, but was, wasn't, like, the person talking. Like, they talked about food in a confessional mm-hmm. and or whatever. That could be a UTR2 edit really easily. A good example is Nick, uh, last season at the merge. He had a confession. He got into an alliance, had a confessional, commented how he thought about the alliance, and talked a lot on the beach, and he ended up UTR2. Um... Whereas a UTR one literally means like they said a line basically for the most part. Like they said one thing. Uh, to me, if you don't use invisible, it means that the jump between UTR one and UTR two is the single biggest jump in the story of the episode of every single other rating. Like between uh, UTR one and OTT two or like Millroad, th- you know what I mean? Like between even those classifications, I think it's a bigger jump. So that's why I think invisible has to be used because sometimes people aren't relevant and it makes it when somebody is actually just under the radar, but still there, like it, like they're on the same footing as person not in the episode at all. Hmm. I am someone who tries to stray away from invisible one. And I think like my point of view is, okay, so invisible implies that like you could go this episode and not see that they were there which is not how invisible is used like i think sometimes invisible gets used for those people who do have one or two sentences and don't say anything else i i just think it's it's implied that they're on the show, whether they're like Jeff drops them in a challenge name wise, or you're just see them doing something like that's why it's hard for me to differentiate invisible from under the radar. Cause like, but I guess is that not just a semantic thing? Like is the problem just like, <laughs> like if, if it wasn't invisible, if instead it was UTR zero or <laughs> um, so under the radar, they barely count. Is there one? Like, is that the problem? Cause like, I, that's to me how I view it. Like, I don't think they're technically invisible, like, because sure. they're going to be shown in the challenge. But yeah. to me, the challenge, like, they have to, like, to me, you're invisible unless you have content that isn't completely necessary. Like, being shown at Tribal Council does not save you from being invisible or mm-hmm. being, like, climbing a rope in a challenge or whatever. Like, <laughs> you're still invisible if you don't talk about anything. Well, I see. I think it does. But I think the point is, yeah, it's a lot of just semantic stuff because. In the end, the point of the edge chart is sort of to derive a winner from it. And really, a lot of the time, especially recently, you're not getting contestants who have invisibles or UTR ones. Mm-hmm. And so I guess functionally, you need to ask yourself, in those cases where someone did have an episode that is, depending on how you do it, invisible or UTR one, does that distinction help you determine winners down the line like and thinking of like your natalie white or like fabio like do you want that there is it helpful for you to have it there um sort of like game wise i don't know 
Yeah, like I guess the thing for me that the the single most uh, the single best example I can think of is like I, I like I think an invisible can be kind of damning. Um, but I don't think all UTR ones are necessarily, and so that's basically why for me I use them. Is it's like I think it's kind of hard to be invisible and still have some sort of story. Like, um, like it's pretty tough. But I agree. I think the I think the thing at the end of the day is you pick what you think is most useful for you to remember that episode. Um, to me, the reason I separate them is like when I look at like a UTR one on my edit bar. I'm like, okay, that person was there and they probably gave their input. Because I can't remember every conversation every character has. Like, sure. I have a decent memory, but not that good. Yeah, but no one can. So, yeah. yeah. That's but if I have Invisible, then when I just take a brief once-over, especially, like, when I'm doing this podcast or whatever, like, I'm frequently looking, like, okay, that person has a relatively fairly consistent story. They're middle of the road the whole time or whatever. Um, but when it turns into, like, UTR1, I'm like, okay, so they at least gave some sort of input about something that they think. But when it's invisible, I'm like, wow, they gave no, like, they, no input. Like, we had no idea where their story was going in this episode. It was just off. Uh, so for me, when I'm looking at that, I think those are meaningful differences. Like, barely being there and not being there, I think, are different enough in the storytelling that, to me, it's meaningful. But obviously, I, I don't think that, I personally think that almost no rules really matter. Like, like uh, a bug landing on you doesn't mean that you're not going to win. Like, <laughs> you don't eliminate somebody because of that just because it's never happened. Um, same with like the invisible bar. It's just like, to me, it's helpful to look at, like, I don't right. know. Yeah. I think that's generally our philosophy on it is that don't just stick to the edge chart. I was seeing some discussions where people have been comparing edits to like previous winners edit bars. And I'm like, that's not helpful though. Cause they didn't have the exact same story. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know. Like. And it's, I don't know, and it's a compilation of a lot of people's bars altogether. So I just think it's tricky there. I think the reason this is coming up is because the last two episodes, people have gone completely invisible, almost inarguably on, on Edge of Extinction. Yeah. So like, I guess my end thought on that would be yes, I think it's totally valid to give those people invisible I'm still going to do UTR one just because that's my preference, but like I get it. And I would say you're wrong and a dirty mouth breather for doing so. <laughs> um, <laughs> I guess to me, I just I, not actually, but I just can't reconcile the fact that like in this episode, say um, that like I just I can't imagine having like was anyone UTR one in this episode? No, they were not. Oh, uh, no, but this is like the first episode where everyone's still like in the game in quotation marks got a confessional yeah but like last episode like i would say that like i just can't uh, i can't buy having gavin and reem in the same category like reem did not speak in that episode and gavin had like two confessionals like to me that's a huge difference like big enough to count but that's fine you can do what you want and obviously that edgic bar literally only matters for your own viewing basically um mm -hmm. Just as a quick way to pattern match. It's basically a memory trick. That's all it is. Uh, being similar to other ones doesn't really matter that much. Um, like, if somebody's consistently, like, middle of road verging on complex personality the entire season, that's not really all that different than somebody who's just complex personality the whole season. They're basically the same thing. Yeah. It's just, you drew the line somewhere. Yeah. And that's why not every edgic chart is the same. It's a big old, mm, like, 
subjective so process. So it's I just do it to make the charts pretty, which is also why I don't use invisible because it's gray and that just doesn't work with my color scheme. So yeah, I think I'm going to propose uh, like rebranding of invisible to like uh, irrelevant or something and then have it be like, like a pretty blue or something like <laughs> then, then people are going to start using like a purple. Then people are going to start using it. Yeah. I like UTR zero. Yeah. UTR zero. I guess. That's not really differentiated. Maybe like a lighter tan. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like a white even. Like, but it's gotta be pretty. I don't know. Either <laughs> way, let's move on here to our story section. Uh, and tweet at us what you think about uh, whether you use them or not. So I can tell you that you're wrong or that you're right. Cool. So we're <laughs> going to move on here to our long-term story section uh, where we go through the stories of the season and kind of the broad story to try and make heads and tails of what's actually being told to us. We're going to start here with our most alliterative uh, theme here, and that is the idea of passengers and pilots being in a plane. Uh, this kind of clunky metaphor, which is clearly like the story of this merge anyway, right? It's yeah, uh, who, like uh, whoever is like there's passengers and pilots. Passengers are just along for the ride, but maybe there's not something not so wrong with being along for the ride. As long as you're willing to kill the person driving the ship at some point. Well, yeah. And there's like a serial killer targeting pilots right now. So mm -hmm. it's not such a bad thing. Um, I don't think it was explicitly said during the episode. No, but this episode was about it, right? Like this was the episode of how war dog went from a pa last episode was about how war dog transitioned from a passenger into a pilot. And this is the episode of how the pilot died. Uh, just like last episode was about how the pilot died. Just like the episode before that was about the, how the pilot died. Yeah. Um, it's this, very much, it go. sort of got more extreme about like, instead of passengers and pilots, it was like goats and threats. Yeah. 100%. So. And I mean, that's the natural evolution of this. It's just, this is the metaphor mm -hmm. for this season. Um, and they use the metaphor so they can tell a different story with it, right? Like the story about threats and goats has already been told in the survivor lexicon, right? Like goat, bad threat, good. But when you transition it to passenger pilots, it there becomes more of a debate. Sure. They're just talking about people along for the ride and people in the driver's seat, but it reframes the narrative in a way that if they choose to, they can tell a kind of captivating tale of why it's important to be under the radar, which I hmm. think they're doing at this point. I think I'm confident in that. Hmm. I think it's definitely, being reinforced that there's something to not being a pilot all the time, like choosing the right time mm -hmm. to slip in the pilot seat and otherwise staying as a passenger. I don't, given who I have as winner contenders, I'm not sure how I see that playing out to the end. But Oh yeah. I'm not saying like, I think that I, uh, goat's going to win necessarily. That's not really what I'm saying. Um, I just think that right now, like the, the way they're telling this narrative is just like, if you stick your head out too early, you die. Um, and that this is like at this point, it's so clear that that's how they thought about this because, like, anyone who stuck their neck out literally got the X right. in this season. Mm -hmm. So, um, you could just see why this ended up being such a dominant theme because, like, it's a it's a it's shorthand for the audience for the casual audience that don't pay that too much attention. Like, someone says they're a pilot, oh, okay, they're probably gonna go home. Mm -hmm. Humans are good at pattern matching, that's why these are important. Um, but I do think the most captivating thing about this theme is that one that Julie said, where it's like, I, yeah, I'm a pilot, but I'm a pilot of my own ship. I'm not a pilot of the ship, uh, or plane or whatever. I guess <laughs> planes aren't ships, 
But I think that's probably more where the theme's saying like that's the best way to be, but your mileage may vary. Yeah. Especially given that it's Julie who is a topic of discussion. Like yeah, is she's Julie amazing. right? Yeah. And I think that is actually like I think that we're gonna move here to our next thing, but I think that's actually an interesting point is I think we're supposed to be conflicted about Julie. Like I really do. Um I think we're not gonna be we're supposed to be not sure if she's right or not. Like mm-hmm. In general, I think that's kind of an interesting thing that's going on with this season because generally there's reliable narrators and there's unreliable narrators, and you can kind of rule people out from there. I think Julie's the first one in a long time uh, that is a conflicting narrator. Like, it isn't unreliable, but it's sometimes wrong, but not really. Like, I don't know. She's a very interesting case to me. Um, it does remind me a little bit too much of like the Chrissy. Uh, again, of like, mm-hmm. it's almost beautiful, but we'll get to that later. Uh, and we're going to move here to a theme that I think at this point we need to give ourselves a pat on the back because is a female alliance coming? Uh, I think it is. <laughs> uh, we have the mothers, women, and gender roles. I hate soccer moms, all that good stuff. Um, and yeah, I think at this point, this season's told a very sophisticated tale of uh, how mothers, women, and genders are perceived in the game of Survivor. Um, and I think it's actually been handled really, really well. And I think this was the payoff for it. Like, it's, we, we've been saying, like, oh, it's kind of on, at bay here. Like, it's, it's, it's in the holding zone. It's in the Survivor waiting room. But mm. now here is it seeing the doctor or whatever the continuation of that metaphor is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we got to see, first off, Rick saying... Yeah, I don't see this reward trip as much of a strategic moment because the girls really aren't playing the game. And it's almost immediately followed by Julie and Lauren, like, playing the game. And they talk about how all the women have been perceived as goats and how they want to change things up. So I think on the whole, it's good for them. Oh, absolutely. Like, I mean, I don't think there's a single worse scene to be shown than all the women are not playing the game and they will lose the challenges. And then girls being like, Oh my God, this guy, like, like, why do they think we suck? Like we rock. Like, (laughs) I I feel like it's really good for the women. Pretty bad for, uh, pretty bad for Rick there. But I I do think that like in general, this has been kind of a captivating story. Uh, and obviously it so much makes sense, right? Like, like I feel like it makes a lot of sense that Kelly and Lauren's dynamic was always kind of weird. Like, where it was like they just never talked about each other in confessional that much. Um, Kelly leaves, and then Lauren is like, "Oh, hey, Julie, what's up?" Like, I think that actually <laughs> makes a lot of sense. Uh, that's probably why we didn't get the whole, like "I would die for Kelly Wentworth" stuff. Um, so mm-hmm. I think it's kind of interesting that we do have this kind of like girl lines forming. Uh, I guess with two of them, but they did mention bringing in Aurora and Victoria. So um, yeah. Nip- It'll be interesting to see how far this goes. Because yeah. Aurora, of course, hates soccer moms. Julie has been wanting Aurora out forever. It's like, will this be an actual majority thing or just yeah, well, like Julie and Lauren? Yeah, like the thing is, the question with all these always, is this the winner story or is this just a story? Right, that too. Um, and I still don't know. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, I would not be surprised at this point if Julie wins or if even like it's three girls in the end or something, mm-hmm. but I kind like I, it doesn't feel that way to me necessarily. Um, like it doesn't feel locked in that way, but 
I do think that there's a good chance it does relate to the winner, but it's just hard to tell. I think it's important to the final tribal council somehow. Yes. I don't know if it relates to the winner. I agree. Like, at this point, like, I mean, I'm so confident that Julie is there that, like, I mean, obviously it's coming up. It's her theme, like, straight up. So, um, I don't know. I think I think you're right. It's going to be a discussion. It's just whether it's, like, last season where, like, it'll be a huge discussion of it and then just not matter. It very well could be. Yeah. And I'm sure we're going to talk about that a lot, but we'll move here to new player versus old player. Uh, clearly, all the all the returnees are out, and yeah, Kelly <laughs> Kelly had a very interesting edit, and yeah, I would say almost we might consider just tucking this one away. I, it always depends on who comes back from Edge of Extinction, but yeah, like it seems pretty really on break now. Like, yeah, the only thing is War Dog said like. And I prove that I'm a good player because I got all the returning players out. Like, that's really the only thing that even mattered, and he got voted out this episode. So it's even less relevant. Um, I think this was a. I think at this point, we can confidently say that this was an excuse for the returning players uh, flopping um, in yeah. general. Like, I guess David played pretty well, and Kelly, I guess, played pretty well. But um, other than that, they played pretty bad. So, yeah, that's uh, that's the new player versus old player one. Uh, and yeah, we probably, we probably should have put it on the X, but. It's a, it's a long-term story of the season. It's just, it ended. Um, checklists, the experience, what people want to do in Survivor, perfection, the inevitable cycles of life. This is our next theme here. Uh, I think there's no better example in this episode than Kelly Wentworth basically being like, I wanted to come here to meet, have personal bonds, and um, I'm so upset that I hurt these people, blah, blah, blah. That one, like, that's mm-hmm. this theme. Right on. Yep, she kind of had like a Ponderosa experience, but yeah. she's still in the game. What that means, we'll discuss later, but yeah. I would say it's very similar to a Ponderosa. Um, yeah, and like that's the thing. is, I, I guess one thing we have somebody, and actually listeners, um, please, who said the uh, my father's going to be so happy that I can make fire? <laughs> I, we, I literally watched that scene like 15 times. I have no idea if it was Aurora or Lauren. Yeah, um, I guess like... If we don't have much more to discuss here in this place, it might be the best spot to stick it in because it literally could apply to every girl left, I think. And like, I don't know who to attribute it to. Yeah. Like, you know, like, okay. So what happens is like sort of amidst all the immunity or like post immunity, like strategizing and stuff, um, you get someone saying, wow, I think my father will be so proud of, my fire making skills. You you know it's a girl's voice, but you don't know who says it. Um, Angela, or not Angela. Aurora <laughs> is making the fire right then, the but Lauren, it doesn't well, really sound like her. <laughs> like Aurora's making it, and she's like blowing smoke. Lauren is in the midst of the smoke and gets up. Then you get a shot of Julie like looking at someone with like a pink skirt, who I thought was Aurora, but I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. And then I think Victoria's there too, and it's just like. But then it's a shot of Rick that it's played over, like the shot of like when we hear the fire line, it's a shot of Rick standing there, but it's a girl voice, like it's not Rick saying it. It's one mm-hmm. of those other four girls that it just panned to, like bizarre. 
And it's it's been very funny because people online, like a lot of them are like, wow, Lauren saying that not great for, or great for chances as like a fire making winner maybe. And then some people are like, wow, Aurora said that and it's really good for chances making a fire. And it's just a very confusing scene. We both watched it over like five times in the rewatch. And I, yeah, I, like, it doesn't sound like Aurora, but, like, she's the one making the fire. Like, it probably sounds the most like Lauren to me. But, yeah. But, like, they have, like, they kind of have similar voices mm-hmm. to the point where I'm not confident ruling which way that is. <laughs> like, Yeah. So I think um, it feels very strongly like something that's, like, cluing us into who's involved in the fire-making challenge. But it's so vague at this point like i bet when it happens i can be like oh yeah that's who that scene pertained to mm-hmm. but like i have no idea right now yeah at this point i think i'd be confident in saying a female is gonna lose the fair making but you thought it was a lose one yeah just because they have done that ironic theme a lot like mm-hmm. um they show Devin making fire all the time okay and then it's yeah. like look he lost like i think they showed kara's survivor skills a decent amount like yeah I think I think if you get shown making fires, probably actually bad for your chances. Mm-hmm. But who knows? It's a small sample size. I do think if they're gonna foreshadow it, I think it's more likely that they foreshadow the wow. That's shocking because she's so good at it or whatever. Yeah, but yeah, it was very bizarre. We it definitely so needed, bizarre. needed to talk about it. Didn't quite know where, but guess this is the perfect place. Sure. Um, and other than that, honestly, like this, like. I feel like this wasn't super important. Yeah, it really just comes up when people go to Edge of Extinction and are mm. like, this is like, it's their Ponderosa that I guess they're not getting because none of the Ponderosa content's going up. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's just sort of like a good time to check in and say, oh, this is what I wanted and this is what I got. So, yep. And, like, every now and then, I mean, I guess you, like, there's a couple other times you could probably lump in, but, like, I feel like this, at this point, it's going to be mentioned in, like, the winner's speech, but that's it. Like, it's not going to be a huge thing. Um, So, I I, I don't think anybody's story is going to be this checklist from now on. So. Yeah. Uh, We'll move on here to Kumbaya Survivor versus Gameplay Survivor, and specifically how different things can be at the top versus the bottom. Um. I think this is very captivating, especially for Ron right now, who kind of clearly articulates this in this episode of like, like <laughs> I now I'm finding myself in a swing vote and Aurora likes me and he's doing the weird <laughs> flipping dance. Like, like, I don't know. I think it's clearly a theme and it's pretty fun. Yeah, I think it correlates a lot with passengers and pilots, like mm-hmm. when to play hard versus when to lay low. Um, I think you see it with various people just how they're slotting into votes i think that's what victoria's confessional was about mm-hmm. it's just like trying to amass the people to get war dog and not necessarily heading it i don't know though it didn't like come explicitly anymore it's kind of like you're at final eight you have to be in like big gameplay mode i disagree i think where it does come up in a big way is again in this female theme rick literally says they're just like chilling out. They just, they're just here for a good time. Though these girls, like, they're not actually here to play. I'm here to play. The boys are here to play. Um, they're wrong, right? Like, it's like the theme yeah. here. If you add on, if you add on like another parentheses, is like, 
Kumbaya Survivor, Gameplay Survivor, the highs and lows, and how people can quickly underestimate people and assume they're not playing. Behind those big glasses, I didn't realize she was awake the whole time, uh, mm-hmm. Aubrey says about Victoria. And we literally get another scene of that here with Rick saying, oh, yeah, like, I'm going to leave the girls alone because, like, what are they going to be doing anyway? They're not even playing. And then immediately followed by their eye, and their eyes were even more open than he could have possibly imagined. Yeah. Clearly a theme, clearly important to pay attention to. Um, and things haven't looked so good for the people assuming that people are just being kumbaya so far in this game. Yeah, that's very fair. I, I know. I guess I didn't think of it. And I was thinking that theme was so tied to like the gender roles thing that I didn't really smash it together with this one, but that's a totally valid point. Yeah. I think, I think underestimating people is crucial in the season, specifically the amount they're playing. Um, and nothing really else. Like there isn't much else underestimate going, but, uh, there is a lot of underestimating about like, wow, they're not even playing. They're not doing anything. Like even war dog says that about Aurora two episodes ago. Um, so I think it's pretty fascinating. And it, like to me, as I'm talking, it's making me feel like more and more like, uh, I feel kind of a girl's going to win, but we'll get to that as we move on. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we'll move here to separating the game and strategy from emotions and personal relationships. Listen to Kelly Wentworth's speech. That was like her soliloquy. It was that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it also comes up when Ron has to talk to Julie about flipping on her. And Julie's like, I don't hold it against you. Like, that was a good move. Like, I'm not that type of person. Which is an interesting take for Julie, who mm-hmm. has been very emotional. Like, and she's even like... I'm not emotional. And she goes back and she's like, well, I have been emotional, but like I can understand here. And yeah, I think that's a really interesting three dimensional take from Julie. So absolutely. And like Julie has gone from the voice of emotion to a voice. Who's a reasonable head in this game. And that's kind of interesting to see. Uh, And I think it's really good for her chances. You know what I mean? Like the fact that she is willing to be like, well, yeah, Ron, like, we should vote together. We should not vote together. Sometimes that's the sign of a good friendship or whatever. Like uh, that, I thought that was a really touching scene, and I think it's really good for her. Yeah, yeah. I think this episode on the whole was really good for Julie. It wasn't very complex from her, but like just a good presentation of her. Yeah, this was her best episode since the merge. Easy. Um, like I'm back. Like last week, I had her number two, I think, but like uh, hesitant number two. Whereas now, I'm like, yeah. I could easily see the Julie win, so um, mm-hmm. we'll uh, see from there. Uh, any other things about separating the game? I feel like there's something else, but... Uh, uh, would you say the initial scene between Ordog and Gavin ties into this? In oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So this was actually a pretty fun scene, I thought. Yeah. Because I had a drastically different take than most people. I was like, oh my god, oh, Kevin... Yeah. Gavin is insufferable in this moment. <laughs> you know, you know, like, like everyone else is like, oh my god, Wardog's being so mean to Gavin. I'm like, Gavin, get over it. Like, yeah, like you said you want to be in the you want to be in the majority because you weren't in the majority. Like, jeez. But I think Gavin actually, in a low-key way, has been very much the voice of this. Of like, he has a temper. He wants things to go his way. He wants yes. his way or the highway. And I think that's a character that's the character trait of Gavin at this point. He's a super fan, he's got a bad temper, and he's a control freak. That's what we know about him. Yeah, he always in all the votes for a while, he's been like, 
we hear from Gavin being like, yes, this is going how I want it to. Or, no, this isn't going how I want it to, and this is why it's bad. So, like, it's an interesting place for Gavin to be, especially as someone who doesn't really slot into the overall narrative of the season yet. So, Yeah, he's literally just being shoved in places. Like, yeah. It's very bizarre, but yeah, I guess that's that's an added thing is like controlling your temper too is probably crucial here. Um, and finally, we have here the unpredictability always on the edge of being voted out. I mean, Wardog got voted out. Like, to a lot of people, <laughs> that was really unpredictable. Um, yeah. I think that's probably good for that. Um, well, Gavin also slots in here because he talks about being adaptable. And like, obviously, that's not what we've seen from Gavin so far, but like, he gets his way here, so... He does. I don't know. And, yeah, actually, that's a good point. And you could probably even slot in, um, like, I, like, it's this unpredictability and underestimating people is the same idea, really. Like, you don't predict that they're playing as hard as they are, so you could, again, slot in this female theme. So take that as you will. Um, mm-hmm. But anyways, that's our story section uh, for the long-term narrative. I feel like at this point, we have a pretty confident read on... The story that we're being told. This is a story about um, underestimating people. How uh, like th- things can f- flip on in the drop of a dime because people are playing more than you realize than you ever realize it on first glance. Mm-hmm. And because of that, sometimes players who are passengers in not in the driver's seat can be doing more th- can be pulling the strings more than you could ever know. And maybe they're pilots of their own ship. I think that's the narrative of this season. Um, and I think we've got a pretty good grasp of it, honestly. Yeah, we just have to see how it all actually pans out and yeah. whether we're disappointed in their adherence to their stories, I guess. I agree. Consistency is important. Anyways, we'll move on here to the Edge of Extinction, where the content in this episode was Kelly and Reem, and that's it. Yep, I mean, Aubrey and Joe came to... Oh yeah, Joe. There's things, actually... yeah, but... Otherwise, no, it was Kelly giving her Ponderosa. It felt very final. Like, Oh, yeah. This, this was the, the end for Kelly. Like, I almost thought she was going to quit at one point. I did think she was going to quit as well. <laughs> um, like, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll talk about Kelly here. Like, to me, this is confirmation she is not entering the game. Um, yeah, for sure. And that's fine. Like, I think that's kind of what I sort of expected. Like I didn't think she could come back. Uh, I did kind of start thinking she might be a losing finalist, but this is probably better for her legacy. And honestly though, I guess my one thing, why did they bury her? Like, like, well, if we're talking about Kelly, like if I think this episode to me confirms she doesn't go back in. So now I'm looking at her edit as a whole. And like, why did they do her so dirty? Like, I got it if she was a losing finalist. I got it if she was, like, irredeemably horrible. Maybe they did just think she was that bad. And, like, this is the best way that you could, like, dress up the ugly pig. Um, but, like, they included a lot to, like, make us not like her as much. And I'm kind of curious as to why they did that now, honestly. Well, like you said, part of her um, speech here was about how she treated people and, like, coming back from that. Like, Reem obviously goes for and she has to deal with that so i think to some extent you want to show a kind of true depiction and maybe if her end speech is about regrets on it 
talk about that, I guess. Oh, shoot. Yeah, you're totally right. Like, I kind of feel dumb that I didn't notice that. Like, literally, it, it's because her story is about how she tre- she was a mean girl. And she was she wanted to come in here and make genuine bonds. And instead, she was way meaner than she even used to be. Um, and people like Kelly and Wendy and all the people who she voted out took it personally because she was personal about it. And maybe she was personal in the wrong way. She wasn't compassionate. She was cruel. That's another way to be personable. But and like more relating to the other person, if you're more directly attacking them, I guess. Um, so yeah, this, I guess this is just like a pretty actually well-told story of an icon who turned into a mean girl. Yeah. So that's off to them, I guess. Like, I guess the simple answer for her negative thing would have been a losing finalist when in reality... It's because her story was about being meaner than she used to be, not being as warm. Mm-hmm. That's I actually like that. That uh, I'm happier about that. But yeah, so basically, we see her talk to Joe, her friend from her old season, mm-hmm. and the other one, one of the other returnees, and that's her swan song. I think I wouldn't be surprised if she's invisible from now on. To be honest. Yeah, I mean, there's always a chance that like something weird happens with War Dog, but it sounds like. Reem gets to dig her claws into War Dog next um, mm. on Reem's Edge of Extinction Revenge tour. But yep. So how I guess did you, it's, how oh, you, do you feel about Reem? This I <laughs> I mean, at a certain point, like you have to be like, I'm kind of get over it. You know what I mean? Like, but <laughs> like, <laughs> I feel like the like I feel like I've really been on her side this whole time until now when it was like. Like, do you really got to be digging your claws into this person? <laughs> like, I don't know. It's weird because, like, it's pretty easy to assume that Reem is not the one coming back. So, like, are we supposed to think positively of the way she's treating Kelly? Like, is it a mixture? Like, is it negative? I don't know. I initially was going to be like, oh, Reem is, like, OTTN1 this episode. And I was like, well, it kind of got redeemed. And she was right. So maybe, like, positive? I don't know. It was just a weird, weird thing to try to fit into an edgic chart. Yeah, like I, I guess my thing is, I guess I kind of see your side, right? Like, oh yeah, for sure. Like, like you know what it is? It's like when you have like a really bad day, and like I don't know, like something bad happens, and then somebody else comes up to you and is like, "Yeah, well, my day was even worse." Like, it's right, but. I, I I don't think it's good to just address that with people. You know what I mean? Like I feel like it's the wrong way to address things. Um, yeah, it's like time and place. Like it's like when someone is like, "Oh, you look tired today," and it's like, "What do you want me to do about it?" Like take a nap. Like it's true, but yeah. like I can't do anything. Like I guess this yeah. time it led Kelly to be like, "Wow, I really was such a a mean person," and I can re- like. I need to think about that as I'm leaving the game, but but okay. In a weird way, is this not the best thing for Reem's chances of coming back? Like, I don't really think she's coming back. But then again, I'm gonna be honest. Uh, <laughs> people with uh, our voices in your ears, um, I don't know who's coming back. But I think at this point, I'm confident they're not winning if it's any of these people. Um, but if like you're looking for a consistent story of somebody coming back, like. Reem, at this point, now that the narratives of Chris and Eric have just dropped off, and David, too, is she not the one with the most consistent story? Like, she was kind of vindicated. Like, she was like, hey, Kelly, you really hurt me. And then we get a long, sprawling confessional from Kelly. And then they 
they patch things up too. Like Rima's like, mm-hmm. you've been out here for a while, Kelly. Are you okay? And it's very, yeah, it is like, and like cosmic, like fate would have it that like the first boot would be the second edge of extinction returning. Like, yeah, she has been consistently shown. I think. Yeah. She's the only one I think that you can say has been consistently shown. Yeah. Like Chris isn't getting these like weird moments. Um, Aubrey had that advantage. She's been practicing with those ropes for days now. Um, yeah, Joe's dropped off. It just seems like either they really love Reem, which I get it, and like they want to show her for all she's worth now that they have this opportunity, or she's coming back and you want a, some sort of character to root for when that happens. But honestly, at the same time, I do think as much as I, I and some of us do personally like Reem, I think her entertainment value is vastly overrated. Like, I really like her. But I think the like I bet the casual audience is not super high on her. Um, I don't think she is this like TV gold that a lot of people are saying. Um, like I listened to Rob has a podcast, uh, shocking. But like a lot of his content is like Reem impressions and stuff. And like, sure, she is like a big character, but she's not like a top tier character. Like, I think if she was still in the game, she wouldn't be the most visible person. Um, mm. I think she's like a above average survivor contestant in terms of entertainment quality. I don't think this is producer gold. I think like maybe it's it's either it's that she's fun to kind of dig into people and she's like a fun like negative presence or she's coming back cuz at this point like I just I guess I don't know what they would how they're going to edit the edge of extinction returnee who comes back and doesn't do anything. Sure. Do they do they drop them off a cliff or do they give them a consistent but kind of negative and weird edit? I'm not sure. I know. I think I kind of just disagree with you on Reem. I think Reem is an incredibly fortunate person to have as the person who's been there since the beginning. Um, the one who sticks it out all the way. Like she's a great character for that. And it's hard to judge her sort of on the whole spectrum because like it's the season is playing out in ways we've never seen before. So like, I think Reem is up there. Like, it's almost like in the same way I think Kelly Shin is up there because they're doing something so meta with it, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, they're really taking advantage of this season's quirks. But I agree with you that I have, like, no idea what they would do with a losing attorney, especially when it seems like all choices are not panning out which is also a very viable path for them to go down like it literally would not surprise me if joe still wins it like after not being on the show for like a month you know what i mean like they that's maximum unpredictability right like there's no way to possibly know um mm. but it's so it's just so hard to say but uh before we move on from edge of extinction is there anything else you want to touch on mm, really thought julia really brought it yeah um yeah. Um, I'm glad they're not doing these dumb scavenger hunts. Anyway, I'm sure that'll come back. But like, <laughs> get out! Like that's the worst. Like, uh, okay, I actually want. I have a mini rant. I've listened to like a lot of like coverage. Everyone keeps saying that the Edge of Extinction content's like the best part of these episodes. I don't think. It, I don't think that's even almost true. Like most <laughs> of it's been the exact same. Like dumb scavenger hunt, or like Reem being like. Like, I'm a mom, and uh, this person needs to get over it. Like, that's basically the extinction <laughs> content. It's so uncomplex. It's so, like, nothing. 
I think it's a novelty, and so people are like flocking to it. But like, right? That's it. Like, it's a novelty. Like, I think I don't it's know. an interesting alternative to like the hyper strategy place that Survivor is now. But yeah, it's definitely not like what I come like. I'm like, oh, I'm so excited to see what's going to happen on Edge of Extinction. Like, yeah, I just I... know that's that's not going to be their focus anyway. So like, I don't know. I don't know. I kind of think that if like Edge of Extinction is the most interesting part for you, this might be a hot take. I think you might just be done with Survivor. Um, like it's really not been that captivating. I don't know. I like if you if you track things that actually happened, it's like people looked at a map and talked about being sad. Like that's basically it. Um <laughs> so if that's the most captivating part, I don't know. Uh, CBS, I, if million dollar mile didn't work for you, maybe you should just have it a, a series where people live on an island and sometimes they do escape room style puzzles. And yeah, I mean it's literally that show <laughs> like alone or whatever. Yeah, that's but... what I, well alone is like I was listening to actually I don't know, Jenna Marvel's podcast. She was talking about Survivor and Alone. Um, but she was talking about it, and that sounds like serious. Like they're getting attacked oh, by bears cool. and stuff. So <laughs> I don't know, but yeah, this is like this is like soccer mom alone. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> it's like one. There's eight of them. Two. There's no one like like there's no one like like urinating their water supply. There's no bears attacking them. They're just like kind of sad. Like this is just like like angsty emo kids alone. Like I don't know. Um. Like I don't know. I mean, it's just like if if you're if you're over Survivor, but you crave alone, but like you're you're too like for me, I can't watch the survivalist stuff because I get sad because the animals are dying and stuff. Then it's like okay, you can watch Edge of Extinction because <laughs> nothing really happens and it's uneventful and like Utopia maybe like you can watch yeah, what it's they Utopia. Did of Utopia. But like... It's literally utopia. It'd be like, <laughs> wow, what a fresh new concept here. Like, it's so exciting. Like, imagine Survivor, but without the strategy. Like, wouldn't that be fun? And then it gets canceled after season? Like, I don't know. Like, I'm sure Utopia got rave reviews on this kind of stuff for being fresh. Like, Freshness alone isn't good. Kid Nation, maybe. Like, there's a lot of sad kids on there. Well, Kid Nation's <laughs> great. So, don't. Kid Nation would literally be a better twist than Edge of Extinction. No doubt about it. Uh, it actually is the same thing. It's the same mechanism. Like, yeah. they have to they have to freaking quit. That's where they stole this idea from, isn't it? They definitely stole it from Kid Nation. Wow. They totally did. It was Kid Nation on Survivor. That's what happened. Oh, man. Well, that's fun. So, uh, I feel like that's... <laughs> I feel like at this point, we're done with Edge of Extinction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's put them I'm on the sorry, shelf. Yeah. Yeah, just put them on the shelf of the Vata Tribe, which means shelf in Fiji. Don't no, forget it. Um, and we'll move here to Aurora, who gave up her extra vote and almost got voted out by the guy who did it. Um, again. Um, oh, man. Poor Aurora. She's getting voted out with that extra vote. I'm calling that now. Uh, yeah, I mean, tonight would have been the time to use it, right? If she was going to. Like, well, Ron has it. No, she has it. Oh, wait, Ron, he gave it back, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never mind. Never mind. I think... I don't know. Aurora... I feel like I read something that was like... I don't know, guys. I'm not trying to convince you, but like Aurora could win. And like... I don't know. I always want to look at those tinfoil hat theories and be like, well... But then someone else, which I know I drug people who are like... 
comparing edgic bars to edgic bars, but like her edgic bar really does look like an irrelevant late merge woman. Yeah. So. I think I think the thing is like you can use like edgic bars as pattern matching. You just have to use it with like heavy discretion. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I don't think there's a winner's edit bar, but I think there's a whole lot of losing edgic bars. Yeah. Um, and like, like I think we we had a listener basically write into us and be like, "I apologize, I don't have the note on me." So, um, I think I think it was Emily Pandemonium. So, shout out to you if it was. But basically, the idea of like you can be super negative tinge without having a negative episode. Kelly Wentworth is that example, except for she, I think, had one negative episode. Um, like it's negative tinge, but there's no like part like negative content is different than like the N rating. Um, so like, I think that's important to note. I do think like. That that kind of stuff's more important than the actual rating. Uh, yeah. But that said, I don't think there's a chance Aurora wins. But these episodes have been making me think it's very possible that she makes it to the end. Sure. And I want to say real quick, I do have that those notes up for some reason. And Emily Pandemonium is correct. You do yeah. have a good memory. I told you. Okay. Um, but yeah, I would agree with that. Especially her content with Ron. Like, it just seems like yep. they're really getting linked together. And I think, as we've seen, lots of links sort of die or get split apart. Like, David and Rick aren't together. Kelly and Lauren aren't together. It's really, like, Ron and Julie, and then you have now Ron and Aurora are becoming yep. a thing. So. And Ron and Rick. And Julie and Rick. Mm-hmm. They all center around Ron Clark. Um, yeah, I don't know, like... At this point, I'm kind of convinced that now that I'm convinced that she's making it deep, I feel like now is the time that she's gonna get voted out because troll troll hard. But um, like I think this is at this point, I'm like, okay, they're gonna use Aurora as the decoy boot again, and probably somebody else gets voted out. You know what I mean? Like someone bigger, probably Gavin. Honestly, I I, I anticipate a Gavin's gonna become a pilot at some point and get voted out. Um, and again, probably target Aurora. <laughs> like. <laughs> Yeah, I was kind of thinking, like, oh, Aurora, like, losing finalist makes so much sense now. Oh, it does. Or a fire loser, especially if she's the one who said the um, (laughs) fire thing. Yeah, I think Aurora's on finale night. Oh, gosh, she is going to go next episode, isn't she? (laughs) Yep. All season we've been like, okay, she's no longevity. (laughs) And now we're saying that she does, and now she's going to leave. But I that's my read right now. Yeah. Like... She just feels like she's getting attached to people for no real reason at all. So, <laughs> and I mean, okay, I guess at this point, I just want to say, I think there is such a thing as like, there's definitely such a thing as a winner's edit. Obviously, that's why we're here. I don't think there is such a thing as a losing finalist edit necessarily, other than a reason they'd lose. Not doing anything and being weird and being a cat and all that is a reason <laughs> you, you would lose. Um, so that's fine. Uh, but there isn't a real quantitative difference between, or qualitative difference, sorry, between a losing finalist and like sixth place. Like there isn't a sixth place edit, in my opinion. Um, there might be some patterns of people who tend to get sixth place, but that's very different. Um, yeah, I guess I I get what you're saying is like there's not the loser losing edit edgic bar, but like you can see like oh like Julie is sort of emotional, so that's why she might be a losing finalist. Like. Mm-hmm. You want a simple reason they can lose. Yeah. But at the same time, like, a boot, and like, somebody who's not gonna win, like, the reason you know that, it's like, oh, well, it's giving me some reason to know that they'll get voted out. Like, yeah. like so it's the same thing to me. It's just, like, a reason they're not winning is all they need to be a losing finalist. Um, 
But yeah, Aurora, I think at least is in the picture of one because yeah, she's mm-hmm. getting these dumb relationships du- dumped on her, uh, and they're still basically invisibling her despite that. So, um, that's similar to Troy Zan, who was all of a sudden super close to Sierra and Brad. Like, yeah, I can very easily see a sort of final tribal where it's like, oh, Aurora, like, good job, you made it here, and then it just goes to, and then getting uh, Joe and Aubrey's votes. Maybe. Right? Like, that makes sense to have those uh, relationships so centered on. Because what do we, like, for a long time, we were like, what do we know about Aurora? She likes Aubrey and Joe. And that's it. Um, hmm. I and don't know. I would, I would wonder if she even got those. But I, I could see that as the justification for that. Because otherwise, why does it matter? Like, nothing she did was relevant to Joe or Aubrey at any point. Right. Like, um, so, I guess that's the thing. Um, or even the story is like, she didn't even get Joe's vote. <laughs> like, cause Joe votes on survival skills or whatever. And she said she doesn't need to do them. So, um, that could easily be it. I feel like that's probably good for Aurora. Yeah. I think so. I'm glad she's really coming out of her shell. Like, I don't know. Just, I'm glad we're seeing more of Aurora. I like her as a character. More Aurora. <laughs> more Aurora. Yep. Onto someone who's also kind of a character, but I don't like them. It's Gavin. Yeah, I agree. Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's a uh, he's something, all right. Like, he's just so all over the place, and like, like I agree that like War Dog was like going at him for like no reason. Like, I think Gavin would have gone along with the plan had he known about it, but like, he's just an like annoying and how he like comes off now yeah like to me okay my read was he was gaslighting war dog that's how i saw it like uh like i got war dog just being like yeah okay of course obviously you want to be included in the play we all want to be included in the play you would have blown it up like like like, i I just don't like i feel like gavin has such a um what is it like when you assume that you deserve something what's that called um uh uh I don't know the, that word. Like he assumes he he's he just deserves to be included in the plan, even though like you know like even though he's done nothing to connect to War Dog. Um, yeah, and it's just like this. Um, why am I forgetting this word? Because I think it is literally Gavin's character is uh, like a uh, they view themselves as like the prodigal son who deserves to like deserves to be in the conversations when he walks in on. Um, that vote on who was it like a couple episodes ago when oh he wanted david out for being a comp beast and they're like no he's like i thought this was a democracy (laughs) not a not a dictatorship when i walked into a group of four people and demanded they listen to my (laughs) viewpoint like like (laughs) i just lost it it's not a god complex no i i why can i not remember this word oh i just like delusions of grandeur yeah that's kind of what it is right it's like uh (laughs) Like, he just thinks that he deserves this, like, deserves everyone to like him and listen to him. And it's just, that's clearly what his story is, right? Like, it's clearly, like, like they don't include the him walk into a group of four people and be like, well, I thought my opinion was going to be heard, not a dictatorship. Like, <laughs> a dictatorship is when the four listen to the one, not when the... Yeah. <laughs> you put your vote in, you lost the election, Gavin. That's that's what happened. <laughs> um, that's the and democracy working. It's weird because, like, this episode wasn't, like, negative for him. Like, well, you thought it was, but I thought it looked really, like, 
Like, yeah, War Dog was mean to me, and I'm gonna get him back. And then, like, he got his way. He got War Dog out. But I think in an episode where you're looking for like who gets the War Dog credit, like Gavin doesn't feel like that person. Yeah, I mean, like last week we were like, okay, we got it. War Dog is the final boss. Whoever kills War Dog wins the game. Woohoo! And then they, like, gave it to Gavin, who's not winning, right? Like, I, I was like, maybe Gavin could win last week. This week, no chance. Um, his Too many of his negative personality traits are the only rememberable things about him. Um, so that makes me be like, okay, well, what the hell is going on? Um, especially, I mean, I, I think I can touch on this quickly. Lauren had this giant breakout episode that we said she needed if Kelly left. She did have that. She became complex. She became in your face. But <laughs> she went to tribal council saying she wanted Warnock to stay. Like, it literally, like, it's like the editors trolled us. Like, oh, well, if Lauren gets all the credit for killing Wardog and a great CP thing, then maybe she can. But no, Lauren's the voice of not voting Wardog. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, we'll talk way more about that when we get to Lauren. Yeah. But- yeah. yeah, it's just like, why did Gavin have to, like, like why is Gavin getting revenge for Kelly? Like, who did this, to editors? Like, <laughs> like Gavin and Kelly have never spoken, but okay, he's gonna avenge her. Yeah, it's just bizarre. And, yeah, to the listeners, okay, they were, they were subtly uh, connected. That was pretty obvious, like, Kelly and Gavin were, like, a couple episodes ago. But, like, not really, like, barely. Like, <laughs> he got a confessional saying he likes her. That's it. Like, they were in a pair, really, from the storytelling. I think that failed. Oh, yeah, for sure. We'll move here to Julie, who... What an amazing episode for Julie. Like, Yeah. This is, a, this is a perfect episode, I think. Like, she shows that she's still playing the game more than people realize. Uh, beautiful, empowering music behind that Ron and Julie scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you notice, it was like nothing else this season it was like it was more like i was crying i'm like oh i'm I'm not crying because this is sad i'm crying because the music is sad you know like it it is so happy it's Mm -hmm. it's like tearjerker music it's like of course run like you can always vote against my interests if you want like that's what friends do and i was like oh that's what like it it felt like a moral lesson for my everyday life (laughs) wait what (laughs) (laughs) just like the music and the way it was shot and everything like I, I'm obviously joking, but um, okay, okay. Like I don't know. It was just like a perfect scene that would be included in a winter montage, right? Like I don't know. It's very good. Yeah, like I don't know. I think the issue you have with Julie, well, you can say she was like not well edited pre-merge. I guess maybe I'll talk about that later. But like Julie is over emotional, and like how does that all fit in? You get that scene with Jeff being like, "The people at home understand you," when like. They really don't, like, a lot of people are like, Julie is over-emotional. Um, <laughs> but there's that validation there. And then there's stuff like this where Julie is shown to be very rational and have a very rational approach to things. So, Yeah. And, like, that, I think that's really good. Like, at this point, Julie and Ron are our most three-dimensional characters. Like, mm-hmm. we get why she's emotional. We get why she's... Uh, like all that, like she's a mom, like she cares about people, but at the same time, she is able at the end of the day to be level headed. And I think that's very good for her. She isn't someone like Gavin who is defined by this un- uh, this word we can't think of. Uh, like Julie has a de- developed character. I-, I feel like you could pluck 
like the sign of a developed character is you could pluck them out of this story and put them in another story and probably get a good vibe of how they'd act. I think Julie is in that vote, like hundred mm-hmm. percent. Yeah, for sure. And I guess as for the other thing, like I, we've talked about a bunch, but like commas pre-merge edit, I guess now that we know Ron and Julie are so tight, it would have been nice to see more of that pre-merge. That mm-hmm. is kind of a sticking point. My only like, rebuttal would be like oh maybe they weren't so close pre-merge like that's pretty damning they were in the same alliance together and like victoria and ron were presented as a pair not julie and ron yeah which is really bad like um to me that's the single worst thing about julie's edit is Mm -hmm. like i think her quiet pre-merge is fine because she actually did have a developed story over that time we caught that i think a lot of people caught that um like michelle fitzgerald style but her number one ally is Ron, and they didn't really have a bonding moment, which is pretty bad. If her number one ally was going to be Rick, I'd say that's fine, but it yeah. seems like it's not at this point. Mm-hmm. So that's the single bad thing for her, um, and the fact that she could easily be a losing finalist. Yeah. And could even be, like, from production's eyes, like, she could be Aubrey. You know what I mean? Like, she could be the losing finalist who they don't think should have lost, but did. Oh, maybe. Yeah. That's kind of what I'm reading here. Like, we have reasons why she's going to lose in the end. But we also have constant re- reinforcing that, like, she's better than people think. Right? Like, this is, I think, almost a um, how they should have edited Aubrey. Not edit her as this unstoppable threat, but edit some her as somebody who, in Korong, I mean, uh, edit her as somebody who is playing super well, but people aren't given the time of day. I think that's a subtle distinction. Uh, and that Julie's in that latter camp, and to me, it kind of reads like maybe someone else wins and they're not deserving. Effect like in the like, there's going to be another like Michelle Aubrey, uh, Sandra Russell kind of discussion, and maybe Julie, maybe Julie's the Aubrey, even though she looks and sounds like Michelle. Yeah, I think that's like one way to approach it. I think it also might be a bit reactionary to like a bunch of like losing finalists who are also women who like kind of got slighted for that. And I think this might be the show finally being like, well, they really shouldn't probably have lost here. It's just how it shook out. Like, so the same sort of vein, I guess, but I think it's looking at a long, like when was the last time, like game changers was the last time we had a female winner. And so like, it's looking at that and being like, we know there's these deserving women who make it. It's just not shaking out that way. Yeah. And like, I mean, like, I feel like it's nothing uh, epitomizes that more than literally Rick discounting them as playing. Right. Yeah. Like, and her being like, but why? And then her still like not really getting her way. Like I, it's pretty bad. I guess the one thing Julie does emerge as a voice to take out war dog. Um, it's pretty good for her, right? Like she's like, yeah. I almost think Wardog's worse than Rick. Like, uh, I think he's gonna win the game if we don't get him out now. And the whole time, like, she doesn't get like she's not CP in this episode. She's not the driving force behind the Wardog vote, mm-hmm. but she gets her way, and I think that's actually very, very good for her. Um, she's probably the one who's most likely to inherit that uh, goodwill. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the recap, if we get one, uh, shows that. I'm sure it'll credit War Dog. Wait, it'll credit War Dog for his own elimination? <laughs> yeah. No, I'm sure it'll be like, and War Dog blew, uh, or, uh, like, uh, shine too bright that people had to kill him. 
Mm-hmm. I'm sure that's what it's going to be because they okay. give Warlock credit every recap. I know it's just an ironic joke. Yeah. Well, I hope they don't do that. I hope. No, they. Pro- I, I don't know. I don't even know if they'll have a recap. But I think at this point, who needs recap credit? Warlock proves that. Haha. Um, yep. But I, another thing I don't have to pay attention to. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, Julie is really could so easily win this game. I think. Um, yeah. But I kind of do get the vibe that it might be that Aubrey situation. If I was gonna like, like if I was gonna be really confident about it, I think that's what I would probably say. Yeah, I could agree with that. Now, an interesting point here is in this episode, she gets kind of like she establishes the new relationship, the one with Lauren. Mm-hmm. Lauren emerges here, and she's the next person we're going to talk about. But I think this is kind of an interesting segue to t- get into talking about Lauren. So they both come to terms, and they're like, "Okay." The girls are being underestimated. Let's go for... And they, they speak at the same time, and Julie says War Dog, and Lauren says Rick. Um, that's a fascinating way to kind of reintroduce the, or introduce this new dynamic of... I think that's a subtle way to put Julie and Lauren at odds with each other while still showing they're coming together. Um, that's kind of how I read that situation, is we're seeing that they're with each other, but they have different long-term ideas of how the game should go, uh, how to play the game. Lauren enters Tribal Council saying she wants Wardog to stay and that Aurora is the right person to go. Julie enters saying the opposite. Obviously, this is them coming together to get Wardog uh, when you actually look at the votes. My theory, I think there's a good chance Julie and Lauren are there together, and this is their subtle putting against each other, or even they are fire-making against each other. Hmm. Like they've been established as friendly rivals at this point, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think that's an interesting way of look. Like, I don't know. I'm strategically though, it, it's weird to think of them being put together, especially like in the final tribal council. Like, why pit people against one another? Like, I don't know if that's something we necessarily see a lot. Oh, it totally is. Like, um, I think a great example is. Uh, and Game Changers, Sarah starts talking really like, oh, I don't know if I can uh, work with Brad Culpepper. I think I'm going to go after him, uh, like, right before the finale. Uh, a better example is, like, obviously Nick and Angelina. If she's willing to do that for a million bucks or for some eggs or whatever, or for a jacket, what she's willing to do for a million dollars. Um, Chrissy and Ben, she's, he's, you're steamrolling everybody, I Ben. Guess, okay. You know? Hmm. But it's usually, like... The biggest characters and Julie's up there, but is well, Julie isn't like she's behind Rick and Wardog, if not Ron, but like Julie and Lauren, like I, mm, I like the idea. I just don't know if I see it coming to fruition. I think I think they'd like to have the final tribal council be like a battleground, like a debate, like sure. I yeah, think that's I what think, they like. I think you're right there. I think I it sort of slipped my mind that how they sort of um what's the word like refer to that throughout the season but yeah like i'm trying to even like even sandra russell right like um i think it may i think it is a thing that happens and um to me this is this looks like the biggest one like that that's just like these casual not like it's a way to be like hey look they're against each other but without being like they're against each other because I feel like they'll vote together for the future. I feel like this could be a female alliance into their at the end together, and maybe they both lose or whatever. 
How do you contrast to that to, which also happened in this episode, Ron versus Aurora, where they're like, yeah, we trust one another, but we're dating when we should be breaking up. I think it's the same thing, honestly. I just don't know which path it's going to be, but I think it's basically the same scenario. It's, um, like, literally, like, in this case, it's less direct, whereas, like, Ron's literally like, I can't stand Aurora, like, I'd rather, like, like I, I better get $2 million. Like, that's more more combative. <laughs> that almost feels more like Final Travel Council to me, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, this feels more like it could be something else. Um, but basically just some sort of scenario where they're at odds with each other, but they're still going to vote with each other for a couple rounds. You know? That's kind of what I get from these two. Um, that battle could be Final Travel Council. It could be fire making. It could be the final six. I think we've almost seen that happen a lot, though. Like... The Lesu tribe was all about, like, bonds constantly sort of fracturing, people being at odds with one another. Um, Ron and Julie, of course, like, they voted against each other, but it was okay. David and Rick. Um, all sorts of that stuff happening. So, I don't know, it's hard to... How that, how does that factor into things in the end? I guess aside from the separating game from emotions, I guess. Yeah, it's so hard to say. I don't, I'm not 100% sure. But that said, I think Lauren's been emerging to a lot of people as, like, the winner now at this point, right? Like, that seems to be something I'm seeing a lot, kind of anecdotally. Um, I haven't well, looked... Yo? I guess... I didn't mean to interrupt, but, like, Lauren, I feel like, has always sort of been a winner contender. And now people are just like, this was the episode for Lauren. She Okay, yeah, that's true. She will win. That's like. actually a good point. Is like for a while she was like the favorite, like no question, and like we were like mm, 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 not seeing it so much. But then I think everybody dropped her like a couple episodes ago. Um, mm-hmm. They're like, okay, this is finally too invisible. Maybe she's getting the Ryan treatment, and then now she's got a huge breakout episode, so they're back on board. Um, I think this was a good episode. Until Lauren said that she wanted Wardog to stay. And then I was like, well, she voted Wardog out. So she definitely has a confessional where she changes her mind, right? Like, like I don't believe that she didn't mention talking about getting a Wardog. So I don't know why they would air the one where she didn't. Uh, I think that's really bad for her. Um, a level of bad that I'm having a really hard time getting over. Because it's a great breakout episode after Kelly leaves. But after that part, after that opening segment... I don't think this is super good for her. Yeah, I think because they don't just do it once. Like, obviously, they have the scene with Julian, her, where they go their separate ways. Um, I think, I don't know if she says it right away when she gets back from Tribal, where she's, like, going at anyone in particular. It's just, like, we we talked about how War Dog was the final boss and someone had to get rid of him. And... Even though Lauren was saying, oh, I I think it should be Rick. I think it should be Rick. I think the episode also felt like Lauren, whatever Lauren did would be what would happen. So, like, even if we go into Tribal thinking it's Lauren's voting, I guess not Rick in this case, but Aurora. Um, the fact that Wardog still went home, like, we know that was Lauren's doing. Yeah. I mean, for me, that's really bad. For you, do you think that's bad? Mm, I mean, I've never been on the Lauren train, so, like, I can see it really bad, but I can also see how that could be used as an editing tactic if she wins. 
especially if Lauren, for some reason, didn't give that strong content that War Dog was going to be the one she voted for. I just feel like there's gotta like, unless she's the only one who is. Why wouldn't they give that to Ron? Like being like, I'm gonna like make sure that people vote. Um, <laughs> like save War Dog or whatever. Like why? Why is this going to Lauren? Like that's the thing that bothers me. Is like she like it wasn't a unanimous vote, right? It was six two. Six two. Like. It was six two. Like it wasn't. Um, like there's somebody who voted with War Dog. Um, why aren't they speaking here? Uh, sorry, I said Ron instead of Rick. I meant Rick. Um, mm-hmm. But like that's the thing is like <laughs> why is why is Lauren constantly in this episode reaffirming that she wants War Dog to stay? Um, it literally happens like three times. Like to me, that's almost unforgivably bad. Um, and to me, it's much worse than the reaction to kelly leaving is bad or is good sorry yeah i mean like i said i've never been high on the lauren train i think this breakout episode if you want to call it that which she had a really strong pre-merge like content wise yeah it's hard to say this is a i I don't think this is a break she's been she's been out for a while it's literally like she had a really strong pre-merge then she went quiet and people are like oh man she's gonna have a big episode like as though we just didn't know who lauren was like the entire pre-merge yeah and now she has and people are very excited but like i i'm still not on the lauren train i think so, overall this episode was not as great as it could have been if lauren were winning like i think looking at everything how it stacked out and kelly going home you could have done a better episode for Lauren. It's just weird to have her as a strategic, like, driver after she's not been that for a while. This is, like, the first time she's commented on a vote. Yeah. (laughs) Which is weird. Yeah. So, nope, still still not high on the Lauren train. Like, kind of just thinking she's going to win and, like, this season's going to be an absolute wreck. For me but <laughs> i like for me i could see it i just i think it's a bad story if she wins so i'm not yeah. optimistic if you're here for it so that's probably good for lauren right i think so now let's move here to rick devins uh who had a t- this okay hot take <laughs> this episode significantly way significantly worse than that episode that everyone says is really bad for rick devins yes i think we both revisited it I know I did, because I said I would, and I am good on my word sometimes. Um, uh, But you get Dita as well, I guess. And what were your findings? Because I feel like, I don't know, it was not bad. (laughs) Yeah, so to be clear, we're talking about the infamous episode 10 or whatever it was that uh, Rick was, basically the one where Rick was uh, told War Dog to go take a hike, you know? Um, Yeah. That episode was not bad. That, like barely negative, in my opinion. Um, not, not even really negative. Like, because I had given him a middle of the road three for that episode, and everyone was like, "Oh my gosh, he's over the top negative. What a mess!" And so I've been saying, "Oh, I need to go back and look at that," because that was the episode we didn't cut. Of course, mm-hmm. um, I went back and looked at it today, and it's just like I don't know if we've seen a such a blatant level of sarcasm before where yeah. like rick is literally like going along with war dog for like 10 seconds before he's like uh actually the opposite psych and mm-hmm. i think people just got spooked by that 
like, yeah, he was a little like confrontational, but it really didn't feel like anything. No, over it the didn't. Top negative worthy. <laughs> it definitely not over the top negative is what it wasn't. <laughs> um, it was just like a like okay, it was a little bad. Like, but like like David even said that they're one of them is drunk and he doesn't even know which one. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. Like that's the best thing you could have for your negative episode. Like, right. Well, he outlived David, so it was clearly David who was drunk. You're like, I mean, um, I don't know. Like, I, I just don't think that episode was bad at all. Like, nope. To me, it looked like obvious. Like, it looked like the Adam Klein being wrong about Taylor episode to me. Like, it was just like, oh, okay. Like, yeah. And I if, think I, at least I'm on the hunt for like, where is that sort of like stab of negativity the winner is gonna get? And I feel like. Everyone I consider, I sort of has that now, and it's now it's like who is actually the right type of negative. Yeah, like to me, like that episode raised my estimation of him because it was the only thing there of any of my contenders that was like a tinge of negativity to throw people off, which Mm -hmm. is a clear pattern at this point. Like every winner in the last like five years has had like a really bad episode somewhere, like. Wendell was like, like when he didn't eat the thing, and like they were like, oh, he's just there, like farming all day or whatever. Like that was terrible. Yeah. Uh, Sarah had an episode where, um, like right before the finale, that was really bad. Bren obviously steamrolled people. Like, like it's clearly a trend at this point. Um, mm. And I think this was less bad than all those. Uh, so to me, I was like, oh, like this is them scared to make him too negative. So yeah. That episode. This This episode. episode. (laughs) Bad. And and, and of course, everywhere online seems to now be like, Rick's obviously winning. Um, So I I don't know what to think. Uh, This episode was so bad. He literally looks like a sexist scum in this episode. Yeah. And wrong. Yeah. And wrong. And (laughs) like a dick for no reason and like a threat who's going to get voted out. He doesn't even comment on why he really wants Wardog to stay other than he wants threats around. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like it's hard because everyone's edit is flawed, but I dropped Rick from top contender. <gasps> like, I reluctantly have him number one just cause like, I don't want, I don't want, I want this to be the second negative episode. Um, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want this. To, I, I like, like I have so like I I just I've I've been on him basically since he got voted out. Um, so I don't I don't want to leave from that yet. Um, uh, I think there's just too much like like too many points of like looking bad. Like there is that first episode where it's like he doesn't look great, but it was validated, and then he yep. comes back and says, "Oh, advantages are only at edge of extinction," which. We know not to be true. I don't think that's bad for him, but I digress. And then this episode is just like, he doesn't. He, now I feel like we're going back to Mike Holloway, where like, there's so much like, eh, like unsureness about it that like, he has to like immunity challenge his way to the end. Well, I think it's perfectly in the cards that he gets voted out next week and then comes back and then. Only has to win like three challenges or whatever. Um, I mean that's Survivor, but <laughs> um, I mean it could also be like the thing. The thing that I'm thinking about now is his edit looks the same if he's a losing finalist as if he's a winner. Um, I think. Um, like 
I think we get the negativity of him potentially losing, but I think he's in the end. Like, I do think he's in the final three, but I could see him being like the Brad Culpepper where it's like, ah, joke's on you. He was a dick the whole time. <laughs> like, I'm not so sure. I feel like he's either Mike Holloway or he's Lockie from Australian Survivor where it's like, okay. he has to win out to the end and he doesn't. And it's just like, I don't know. He's so much just... more developed than like Lockie. I don't know. I, I, to me, it's just like, I guess the hardest part for me is the fact that like, this isn't Joe we're talking about who has to beast his way to the end. Like, this is Rick. Um, and I believe he'd have to beat the uh, challenge record to win this. Um, but I mean, I think it's more likely that he like finds an idol and then is able to fight form a little majority and then like wins a challenge and then plays an idol or something like, I think that's more in his cards than anything else. Honestly. I mean, yes, but like I don't. It's now it's like I don't want it to happen. Yeah, same. With the combination of the other people, I do really want to win, and so hopefully that's not like biasing me like too much, and I'm gonna like lose Rick right before he wins too. Um, but I just I really don't feel it. I think it'll be something to watch as he traverses through more episodes and whether or not he's like shown positively i think getting voted out twice is just like ugh. like no way that's kind of what i'm expecting to be honest like i do think he gets voted out again like and comes back yeah and then wins yeah okay like Uh. to be honest that's the path i see uh happening i wouldn't even be surprised if what it is is if he gets voted out next week he comes back like what the week after that um, so, I don't know. Something like that. And then they give him a, him an, an idol again. Oh, no. Uh, and maybe he wins a challenge, plays the idol, he's in fire making. Right? That's, uh, that seems so realistic to me. It's not even funny. Like, Does he get an asterisk by his name? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, I guess the thing is, it's just like he has too good of an edit for like, like eighth place, I think. Like, I don't know. Like, even last week, like, I rewatched it again. It's like, that scene in that immunity challenge with the bro- fake broadcast is so over the top. Like it is so over the top. And I don't know. I just like, to be fair, it, it would be seventh place. And you know who else had a really good seventh place at it? Christian Hubicki. Not even similar. I've seen that, that comparison a lot. Not even similar Um, to me. I, maybe this is a hot take, but I don't think they're similar at all. No, I don't think they're similar edits, but I think you can have a good edit and go out this early. Like, but, Kellen, okay, cr- Kellen had a strong edit, but she went out in seventh. But, like, okay, I guess the difference for me is I never really thought Christian was going to win. Like, oh, wow, no. No, I, I never had him number one, mm. I don't think. I don't think I ever once had him number one. And roll back the tapes. I think I think I think if you do roll them back, because one I had Gabby at number one for like the entire season, so uh, that <laughs> exonerates me from most of that. But like to me, Christian was a rare example of somebody who, to me, it was like okay, they're more than likely not winning because his narrative like had a conclusion halfway through. But it could be a coronation. Was basically my kind of thinking. Like this could be them crowning the greatest survivor winner of all time in their minds. But more realistically, he's probably not winning. He's probably going to be earlier than expected. Was kind of my take on Christian. Um, mm. And then with who was the other name you mentioned? Kellen. Kellen. Oh, like, 
Kellen, Kellen, I, Kellen I thought was going to win in episode one, and that's it, right? Like, um, <laughs> the difference is, like, I don't know, like, there is a difference. Like, he's not burning too bright. He's not really getting, like, he has relationships. He has this, the second person visibility of, like, in this episode, people are like, well, we have to vote Rick because he's going to get all the jury votes. Like, that was said in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I just think, like, it just makes too much sense for him to make the end. Um, he's not even getting, like, the, he's a super big threat thing, like he is now, but now not, like, Christian was getting that at the merge. Um, I just don't think they're really that similar. The worst parts for Rick are that he looks like a bully in episode one, and then this episode, I think. Like, other than that, I think he has a perfect edit. Um, Mm. the problem is, I guess the things I'm forgiving, I could also see just being, like, the easy reason he lost at the end. Um, but I really do think he's in the end more than likely winning small chance of a losing finalist, small chance of fire loser. And other than that, I just don't think there's, I feel like I'm starting to see so many other people who are in the end instead of him. Like, I think Ron is there. Julie's there. Like, I think it could be Rick, Ron, Julie, or Rick, Julie, Aurora, or Rick, Ron, Aurora, or like, you know what I mean? Like, I see all those. Um, I ba- Basically, I just don't think Gavin or Victoria are there. Uh, and then I think everybody else kind of could. Yeah. And um, I, I guess that's the worst part is I in all those, I kind of see Rick there. Um, and in all those, in, in all situations where Rick's there, I see him more than likely winning. So that's why I have him so high. I would say while I have Rick low, my biggest holdup is still that first tribal council where he goes home. It's like, why? Like, why are you? I guess if he is sort of the positive thing to come out of Lesu, but you have Lauren there, so it's like, why yeah. not be like Lauren was saved? I don't. Yeah, know. like that uh, episode. That episode alone, and then Kelly targeting Rick immediately when she didn't, and all that stuff just looks such like it's such obvious editing manipulation, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, to the point where it's like, the, no one else has nearly as much manipulation to his edit than rick and i think that's the most common tread of winders at this point is like who has the most like weird manipulation happening like like wendell being the alpha to dom or um like what's another good example like like sarah randomly like pleading pleading allegiance to troisan on the bottom or like sarah michelle and her girls alliance like I feel like at this point, I'm like, okay, who has the most editing manipulation that doesn't make sense if you take it out? And I think Rick's that number one with, like, a bay, like, like uh, that guy from Spongebob who died, uh, Schmitty, <laughs> or or whatever. Uh, like, that big number one sign. I mean, like, Rick was number one for editing manipulation. Uh, he's given reasons why he's going to win the jury. He's got a good narrative. This is the story of Rick, I think. Um, hmm. I don't know. It's just like if there's all this manipulation, why is there so much messiness? Yeah, but I think it makes sense, right? Like in this episode, he votes with Ward. Like, like how do you edit the winner that sucks? Like this, probably. Like, <laughs> think about the two times he's voted in the minority. It was uh, the other negative episode and this one. Like both times he was super wrong. How do you I, edit that? I think this is a case where you can also just show them like not. I guess it's hard for Rick because he's so front and center, but like you, 
I definitely think, even though we just said it's not as negative as it seemed, we could have done that other episode a little quieter. Disagree. I just don't think they care about having a perfect winner, especially when I think the edit justified him in that episode. Um, Especially the merge episode was justification for him being upset and flipping, I think. Um, And, like, even beyond that, like, this episode, like, you have to, like, sure, they care about showing the winner in a good way and all that jazz. They care more about having a, like, a competent episode, right? Like, that's the number one priority is an entertaining episode that tells mm-hmm. what's going on. That's their that's their top priority. Rick votes with Wardog and they don't have a personal relationship, right? Like at all. Like Rick doesn't like Wardog as a person. So you can't even say it's loyalty. Like there's no good justification for it other than the one he gives, which is that he wants to keep the threats around. Mm. Right? Like he was blindsided and he said he wants to keep threats around. I think it's fine to dig into them in this episode too. It's the worst, but it makes sense. I don't know. I just, I think I'm really quiet on Rick right now. Like, just feels too messy and, like, doesn't feel right right now. I'll revisit it next episode, I guess. But it just doesn't feel like he really has that path to the end, I guess. Yeah, for me, logic-wise, I'm like, how the hell does this dude make the end? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, but edit-wise, I'm like, okay, he's in the end somehow. Like, um... <laughs> which kind of makes this commentary hard. Like I couldn't imagine like if this was like just a strategy show, like our podcast right here, what I would even say, like, like uh, Rick's not, not playing a good game. Like he's, a, I think yeah. he's a terrible survivor player, but I think he's winning the game. So um, hmm. what does that mean? How do I even dissect that? Like it's it, it, to me, it almost feels hard to even evaluate anything. Cause I'm like, okay, I feel like Rick is more than likely winning, so I guess what he's doing is right. <laughs> but I don't know. It even makes sense if you think about it from like the story of Edge of Extinction's kind of been how voting people out hurts. Kelly's narrative is about how making personal relationships and then turning on them makes people hurt and bitter, right? You know who's not voting anyone out because he's always in the minority? Rick Devin. <laughs> right? Mm. I don't know about that. I don't it's know. It's flawless. I don't know. I think he's more than likely winning. I'm curious who your number one is. I guess I didn't look at your chart. Uh, so that's kind of interesting. I don't have anything else to say about Rick Devins, but um, his name's constantly said. He's the only one who kind of feels like uh, has some mythical quality to him. So that's why I think he's going to win. But that said, my favorite contestant is Ron Clark. He's the best. Um, I want him to win. And I think now I kind of see it. Like maybe my dream a couple months ago was accurate, but. I think, like, I really see it. Like, I didn't have on my chart, if you, which I also thought at one point, but, like, they're so close. But I think Ron might be that number one. So who's know. the other person? Uh, it's Ron, think? Julie, and Rick. Okay. I would say that's the order as of right now. Okay. Talk to me about Ron, because you're clearly way higher than him than me. Okay, so I think the biggest problem, because last week I had him as number two, and I was like, I really see it. Like, if Rick kind of had more flaws, like maybe he could be higher, which that's what's happening here. But like Ron also was, didn't have the greatest episode. Like a lot of him being like, I need to weigh what to do, what's best for me. Lots of like social interactions. But then he has this interaction with Aurora, kind of out of nowhere, where he calls her a rice Nazi. 
It's like, hmm. That's that's only negative to us to be like like we're like I don't know Wait. the internet's oversensitive about that stuff right like mm. the casual audience sees that as a reference to the soup Nazi and doesn't think about it. I don't know it. That's it that's what he was referencing, right? Like he was saying like like she's sure. the soup Nazi. Like sure. Uh, but then I was like coming around to this thing like oh we're looking for that post merge negativity and I feel like that really works for Ron. It feels kind of Denise Stapley-esque when Denise really dug into Abby Maria, where it's like, yeah, there's this one moment where he's super negative. And that's what I kind of have come around to. Don't think it's the greatest, but I think it works. And I think also in that scene, they're later like showing like Ron being like, oh, you're just leaving me to um, do the rice then. But you can very clearly see from like the short clip of it that he's kind of joking. Yeah. Like, so I think they really tried to like just present things a little differently than they were, like manipulated a bit. And then, so if I push that aside, it feels like everything sort of makes more sense. Huh. I guess for me, like, I guess I kind of see that Abby Maria Denise thing. Cause like, it is a, like, <laughs> it is a little weird for him. Like, cause like think about him winning and they air the like, Oh, like I'd rather die than, work with aurora like it better give me a million how do they even air that when he wins like like i feel like they almost wouldn't air the cheapening the prize of the winning confessional if he's gonna win but um because i feel like that's a memorable enough hmm. confessional to make his montage that like unless they're gonna go for the cheesy like oh so run is the one worth uh working with aurora those few rounds like she's in the end with you or whatever um i guess i can see that but um, my biggest problem is that he like drops off weirdly in the pre-merge, uh, just at random times. But like his pre-merge was actually pretty good when you think about it, and that advantage is coming back up. Yes, I that's think a that's huge part of thing it for too. Him. I'm like, oh, that was right. I think on one hand that is kind of souring though, because he didn't like say anything in maybe episode three when he could have been like, yeah, I guess I don't get to use this advantage, but maybe it'll come in use down the line. And I think I think we, that's fine. I think we talked about that back then too, and we're like, yeah, that's fine not to have because it's just sort of something. It ruins the suspense of it. I think, like, mm -hmm. um, I I think that's fine. Like, I see where you're coming with Ron. Um, and I kind of like the more I think about it, the more I can kind of see it. Like, he's and he is such a weird character that like he would get a weird edit. Like, um. We did see him dismantle Joe. We saw him dismantle all the returnees, basically, right? Um, not Aubrey. Not Aubrey, Aubrey but... Kinda. Yeah, we saw him play from the bottom. He has a survivor highs and lows. Um, and he articulated that clearly. I think my problem is, like, we were talking about Christian. I think Ron is more likely to be Christian. Oh. Huh. Like, I think Ron is the most entertaining person on this season. Um, I think Ron does give the best confessionals. I think Ron gives the best insight. I think Ron's our Christian in this season of just like somebody who's gonna look good no matter what kinda. Um and get like good competent content. Like this guy's literally dancing in his confessionals. Like um I, I think that's pretty uh pretty up there. So I don't know. I guess my problem with Ron is that unlike Rick, I could see him get voting out next week. Um We're just like completely reversed on that. Because I'm like, yeah, yeah, I guess so. anytime. <laughs> like but Ron feels like the person who has all these connections till later on. 
Like there's he something does. with Julie. There's something with Aurora. Like yeah, I don't know. like I don't know. It's just like like has Ron even ever talked to Lauren? Um, probably not. Like I don't know. Like he has his bond with Victoria. He has his bond with like okay. If Rick were to the problem is Edge of Extinction, because I do think that there's a good chance Rick gets voted out, comes back, and wins. That said, if Rick just, like, was eliminated, like, like, uh, like some dude came up to me and was like, it's not winning, by the way, like, uh, whatever, right? Like, I had confirmation. I think I would then go to Ron. Um, I just, like, I think that would make sense to me, because, like, Ron is, like, a crafted edit. It has a good premiere. It has a good merge. It has a good swap episode. A very good swap episode, by the way, where he just, like, missed show. Mm-hmm. Um, like, he was constantly on camera. Like, he's always pretty good. But, like, his story isn't super there. Like, other than that first confessional, we don't really know who he is. Um, it's a bad sign. Obviously, that could change. But I don't know. I'm, I wouldn't have him in my list, I don't think. Huh. Or he'd be like barely like I have three. I probably have Rick, Julie. It's Lauren or Ron. I don't know which one. Um, I'd probably put Lauren above Ron, but yeah. it'd be close. Like they're both there with like little, and then it's Julie and Rick there way up for me. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like I want Ron to be the winner. I just don't think he is. Like. I feel like the season looks a little different, if not. But then again, he was like the one who came into the merge and was like, "I have the comma six. Um, like, the problem is he's too entertaining. I can't track it. You know what I mean? Hmm. I don't know. I don't get a sense that he's like the Christian of the season necessarily. Like, I feel that's much more Rick. So it's like, huh? I don't know. I did want to point out that one confessional he has where he is doing the weird like weighing options with his hands thing um like the text of it is very could apply to any situation and it's just very clearly like that little bit is chopped out really quick to insert there where he's considering going with the threats or the goats at that point i mean that confessional aired in an earlier episode no i don't think so i think it was just in the previous or next time on oh shoot you're right yeah because I remember You're right. that, I was like, that's yeah. so weird. What is he, like, doing? Yeah. I think he <laughs> did something like that before, too, though. Um, oh, yeah. But, like, yeah. Like, um, and they, the weird thing is that they aired that twice, but, like, different parts of it. You know what I mean? Like, um, it's pretty weird, but I don't know. It's like, I think he'd be an easy fourth. It's just, I can't see it. I can't see it. Okay. Well, maybe next week. Maybe next week. I, like, yeah. I want to be here for the Ron Clark story uh, starring Matthew Perry. I just don't. Like, <laughs> not quite there for me. Um, do you have anything else to say about him? I don't think so. Yeah, like I think it'll be fun to see him like pull the prank on Rick. That could be kind of funny. Because um, he's pointing mm-hmm. on like, tricking Rick or whatever with that advantage. Yeah. So that could be kind of fun. That's really creative. I, uh, Ron Clark's also my favorite player. Not even like character and player, which is pretty rare. So that's pretty cool. And our next person is Victoria, who used to be my favorite. And they're just letting her flounder. It's sad. Literally, it's just like, I feel like at the final eight, we have just better, like, developedness of all the characters. But, like, Victoria is just, like, weirdly floating amidst everything, despite being the only person left who's voted correctly on every vote. So, like. And she's good at confessionals. Like, yeah. 
the problem is that her winter edit looks so much different. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, I think she eats an idol or something. Like, that's kind of what I'm getting. Oh, that might be a good... Hmm. It's like, why... Like, this girl is way more entertaining than Gavin. Why is Gavin getting the confessionals in this episode? Um, Like, unless they're really trying... So, like, the only way I see her winning is if they're trying to literally troll Edric. And Edric's, yeah. like, 400 people, so they're not doing that. Like... Yeah, that's what I've seen is like, oh, with Edge of Extinction, the season is so unpredictable that they're really like hiding the girl who wins it all. It's like, well, I want to see it for sure, but like, it would be such a big like change. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm trying to think back to like, like Sophie's edit. Like, is Victoria's probably more uh visible than sophie right like but when i think about sophie's edit it's like just consistent middle of the road um with little forays either back down to under the radar or um complex and like victoria is much more all over the place yeah like victoria says more like weird like the problem is that she's really vanished in this merge like right big time and I feel like Sophie's built, whereas she's kind of fallen off a cliff. I don't get it, because she was, like, one of the most visible characters in the pre-merge. Like, honestly, if I was going under, like, the mantra of, like, the pre-merge dictates the winner 100% with no uh, recourse for the merge at all, I'd probably be picking Victoria. But, like, the merge is still, like, you still have to be there. Like... Like, there's a difference between the pre-merge tells you the winner, the merge doubts it, and, uh, like, good pre-merge edit, invisible through the merge. Like, that's not the same. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think why they're struggling with uh, Victoria is, A, she's not winning, B, she's this weird, like, person who has been able so far to vote correctly every time, which has been a very shifting group of people. So it's like... I think that's partially what they were trying to do pre-merge is be like, yeah, I don't have like personal relationships don't mean anything to me. I just need to be in the right place. So Uh I think that was their way to dictate it. And then sort of gave up on actually trying to like narrate that as she does it. So, yeah. And I think maybe the other problem is like when you uh, like building onto that point, like when Victoria's in the game, it's like, if you make her like the problem is like what do you do with like well I don't know about that like the Sandra confessional when she does lose to Russell right like do you know what I mean like like mm-hmm. Victoria has a very ironic and meta storytelling style of like like these people think I'm this thing but really I'm way smarter than them and better than them and I'm but it's like a really succinct way of doing that right like it's like like, she has, like, a good way of, like, tearing into people really quietly and very, like, to the point. Yeah. How do you edit the person that just doesn't do much with that? Like, it's hard. Like, mm-hmm. that works really well when it's like, oh, uh, she's winning! Woohoo! But not so much when she's not. Like, um... Yeah. I don't know. It's a bummer, but I guess we'll see where Victoria sort of slots in. Like, that's mm-hmm. the thing. I don't know exactly where that place is. So... Yeah, she's somebody who I would toss, like, a couple points to of maybe winning. Like, she's not as dead as Aurora or Gavin. Um, 
Hmm. I don't know. Like, to me, it's like, to me, like, the way I see it is it's like God tier, Rick and Julie, next tier, Lauren, Ron, Victoria. Um, Like, maybe, like, if they win, I could see it. I would probably, like, I don't know. Depending on the moment, I'd probably put Victoria above Lauren, but I don't know. Hard to say. Like, I think I would have Victoria below Gavin. Oof. Oof. That's bad for Victoria. <laughs> Poor girl. Um, I just don't think it's super likely. Like, yeah, I don't know. Her, her edit would look so much better if she yeah. just won. <laughs> like, so many points too. Because like mm-hmm. we're forgetting like this is the Victoria that got caught by Joe when she was talking to her. Yeah. Like, and I know we said eh, stuff like that doesn't have to look so bad, but it's like if you really aren't like gonna give her attention post merge, like. Don't show these bad symbol or signs pre-merge. I mean, it'd be one thing if, like, part of her story was, like, she's a little aloof or whatever, but it's not. So, like, she's never commented on that or anything. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the big problem for me is, like, there's just no, like, like, there's just nothing. There's no reason to include that right now. I don't think it's not, like, I think we were right to say it's not a big deal then, but they haven't replaced it with anything. So, yeah. I don't know. Poor Victoria. I hope she gets some fun confessionals before she goes, because mm-hmm. like she had a, a chance of being like one of my all-time favorites, and like I'm even losing like interest in her. Um, yeah, that's sad. So that's good. We'll move on here to our last person, Dan the War Dog De Silva. <laughs> Amazing character. Yeah. What a great, sad. Great character. I'm glad. I abstained from the War Dog Winter Train. Same. Like, yes, I know it's still possible, but oh, he's not coming back. <laughs> like, it's, I don't know. I don't want to count my chickens before Wendy releases them. Yeah, I we mean, made that joke for the like fifth time. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> such a good one. Okay, um, but well, yeah. welcome to the Chicken Joke Podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. War Dog doesn't get shown as like irredeemably horrible at challenges if they don't. Uh, if he comes back, I don't think. True. So, I guess this is probably the end of War Dog's story. Um, I be, think it's a fitting end. It'll be interesting to see what he has to say on Ponderosa and like how he interacts with Reem and mm-hmm. all that. So, I'm sure this episode would have been way more enticing if I was like, "Oh my god, War Dog's definitely gonna win." So, like, I kind of wish I did get on that train because, like, I don't know. Like, I, <laughs> to me, I was like, "Okay, he's gonna get uh, voted out." So, it's a little anticlimactic because to me, this felt inevitable, but. I think the intention was this was supposed to be a shock boot. Like, yeah, Wardog goes so early, but like we thought he was gonna leave pre-merge. <laughs> so like, I don't know. It, I think it soured me a little bit on the quality of this episode. Um, but Wardog's great. Like, I thought he was really fun. Um, probably one of the better players here. Like, he showed outrageous skill in most things in Survivor. Well, one of the things I've been seeing now that he's gone is like people are like, oh yeah. Wardog said early on he wanted to be the one that was had his foot or no his foot like his hand in all the plans, but you didn't know it was him. And then he remarkably failed on that. Mm-hmm. So like, I don't know if he's so great, but like, definitely a good character. Yeah, he is so fun. Um, he has some fun moments in this episode. Like, uh, I, I like his quote unquote terrible challenge performance or whatever. That was pretty funny. Um. <laughs> I know he's just he's he's a he's a good guy and like I'm happy he was on the season. I just there's no chance this guy wins. I don't think. Um, 
that's I guess if he comes back, he's probably got a really good shot, right? Like if he overcomes his inexplicably horrible challenge performances. Hmm. Maybe. I don't know. I just don't think that's even a realistic <laughs> possibility. Yeah. Like I don't know. I don't even know what to say. Like I think it'll be fun to see him and like David, who's apparently his nemesis talk, but Well him and Reem, of course. Him and Reem, yeah. Like he'll he should be fun on edge of extinction, so mm-hmm. I guess that's uh one thing. Anyways, uh let's move on here. So obviously we both set our list. Um I still have Rick at the top. You have Ron, Julie, Rick. Rick. I have Rick, Julie. I probably if I was being honest, I'd probably have Rick, Julie, nothing else. Mm-hmm. Um whereas I think the other the other like three have a chance. I just don't think it's that realistic. So uh, who do you think is going to get voted out next? Hmm. I think it's Gavin. Rick Devins. Uh, Rick Devins, I would also co-sign. I thought you said Ron was going next. Uh, no, I think it. W- I think Rick Devins is in the contention of getting voted out next. I think, but I think Gavin's an interesting choice, though. It's hard to imagine him going. Gavin killed the war dog. He's going to vote about being a um, like in the pilot seat now, and then everyone's going to be like, "Oh, Gavin's the worst." <laughs> That's what's going to happen. Um, and it's the family visit, so... Woo-hoo. Yeah, so he checks that box off. Oh, yeah. Uh, hot take. The family visit sucks. Like, <laughs> like, it just means that I'm gonna have to, like, groan as Jeff, like, tries to relate to the human experience. Um, <laughs> hello, fellow humans. I, too, have family that I love. Um, I don't know. I, I'm not... I'm, I hate the family visit episode. Like, the oh, only wait. good one was Millennials vs. Gen X's, and that's because like there's an actual family story involved with the season. Um, every other one sucks. Oh yeah. I was going to mention, speaking of family visit, like when something as good as Allison saying she loves her family in the reward, this episode, um, Rick says, I love hot water. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We'll continue documenting. Survivor contestants. I love hot water. (laughs) And their weird things they love. <laughs> Next episode on the winners edit. Yep, yep. <laughs> uh, so you can contact us at thewinneredit at gmail.com. We have new episodes on Sundays this week. We share on our survivor, our edgic. Follow me on Twitter at Danny's Kills Bees. Danny Kills Bees, not Danny's Kills Bees. Um, <laughs> and then uh, review us on iTunes if you want. Uh, that would be really nice of you. Uh, and yeah, that's our show. That's it. We'll see you next episode. Peace out.